So for the sermon today, we're going to sort of be picking up where we left off last week. This is kind of going to be like a little two-part sermon that sort of started last week and now is continuing into this week. Uh, last week, we talked about how to live as Christians in sort of these dark times, sort of ever-increasingly evil and dark times that, that we're living in. We talked about the reality that our world just sort of more and more is just sort of steeped in sin and evil, uh, arrayed against God, sort of hating God, hating God's ways, Christianity, uh, hating Christians. Churches are being pushed more and more to the margins. Christians are, are being attacked for their faith. We just see the evil on the rise all around and sort of pose the question, as I mentioned, I think sort of a lot of Christians are just sort of shocked by all of this. They, they see it all happening, but it's sort of like, man, if, you know, 30 years ago, if I looked at, you know, what do I think it would be like in 30 years? I never would have imagined this. I'm just sort of shocked and, and baffled by, by where our world is now. And just sort of like, how do I respond? How do I live in these times as a follower of Christ? And so we talked about that last week and sort of to put it in a word, we said we're to live faithfully faithfully unto the Lord. And we talked about various specific areas of faithfulness, how we're to live faithfully. So we're going to continue this and, and continue to talk about how are we to live as Christians in these dark times. And we already talked about faithfully. And today we're going to talk about that we need to live wisely or, or shrewdly. And so I want to turn to our, our main passage that we're going to look at here and sort of here we're going to see that we're to live wisely as Christians in these dark times. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 25, uh, and let me read it. I'll sort of read through the whole thing. I know oftentimes I sort of pause and interject. I'll just read through the whole thing, and then we'll kind of come back and, and pick it apart a bit. So Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Summoning his 12 disciples, this is talking about Jesus, of course. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag. Uh, don't take a traveling bag. Uh, for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of people because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. 
You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me. Bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Right, so sort of big picture, what's going on here? Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples. And here, all he has to tell them uh, relates to this immediate moment that he's sending them out. And he's sending them out to all of the, the towns throughout Israel, right, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, preach the gospel message, and, and carry out miracles and wonders. But he also has in view here, and this is very clear from, from what he says, not just this immediate moment that he's sending them out, but, but ultimately when he then dies and then rises again and then ascends to the Father, that then he's sending them out into the world as well. And so he has that sending out that's still a sort of in the future at the time that he's sending this. So he sort of has both moments in history in view when he sends them down the road, but also that immediate moment as he's sending them out to Israel, right? And as he's sending them out, uh, he sort of explains to them what, what the world is like, sort of the context into which he's sending them. He makes it very clear. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, right? What do wolves do to sheep? They devour them. This is sort of what things are like. He's saying there's this dark world out there. They've hated me, and they're going to hate you too, my followers as well. And they're going to do all sorts of evil things to you. They'll imprison you. They'll bring you before courts. They'll flog you, right? They'll persecute you. Uh, they will treat you horribly, uh, because you are my followers. This is an evil, dark world, and that's sort of the world I'm sending you out into. They're like wolves seeking to devour you, right? So in a sense, right, sort of the same context that, that we're talking about in the sense that we're saying we, we live in this dark, evil world. And again, so how are we to respond? How are we to live? And here Jesus is sending his disciples out into this dark world. And, and in that context, here's what he says. This is verse 16. He says, Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And I would say here, the shrewdness and the innocence here are not so much two separate things, sort of shrewdness on the one hand and innocence on the other, but rather sort of speaking of one thing, sort of an innocent type of shrewdness. Right. If we think of in English, and this is true, shrewdness is a good word here used to render the, the word in Greek uh, that's used. Some might say, you know, wise as serpents. That, that's still a good translation, but sort of wisdom often has sort of a, a positive connotation and sort of generally exclusively sort of a positive thing. Be wise. Shrewdness can sort of go either way. And the Greek word used here can go either way. You can sort of have this shrewdness that, that's sort of appropriate and, and godly and, and upright and wholesome. Or you can kind of have the other kind of shrewdness, which is sort of devious and conniving and deceitful and evil. It can go either way. And that's the word that's used here. It's a word that can sort of go either way. And so I think he has one idea in view, and he's saying, be shrewd, shrewd as, as serpents, 
but then sort of qualifying what type of shrewdness he's talking about. And it's sort of the innocent, upright kind of shrewdness. Innocent like doves, as he says. So really, this sort of a singular idea, not to say that we're not to be innocent in every sort of way. We, we are. That certainly is, is factually true. But really, the central thrust of what Jesus is saying here is, right, I'm sending you out into this evil, dark world, and how are you to live? How are you to operate? Well, you need to be shrewd, and shrewd in the good sort of way, the innocent, upright kind of way. Or we might just sort of say, be wise, as that naturally has sort of that upright connotation as well. Right. And so last week we talked about we need to be faithful. This week we're going to talk about, as Jesus says here, we need to be wise. Right. We're like those sheep among wolves. The wolves all around the world around us hates God, uh, hates the church, wants to attack us and devour us as, as wolves seek to attack and devour sheep. Sheep. That, that's sort of the world we're living in. And we're told in that context, we need to be wise. We need to live wisely, shrewdly in the innocent, upright kind of way. So I, I want to be very practical here and say sort of, you know, what does it look like now? It's one thing just to say, well, live, live wisely, live shrewdly, but then it's sort of like, okay, well, practically, how, how do we live that out day in and day out as Christians? I want to sort of be very practical here and say, you know, in what ways are we as followers of Christ to be shrewd in the upright kind of way? Are we to be wise as we live in this evil, dark world? Uh, and so I'm going to highlight a number of points. You, you could certainly go on and on and on. You could fill the whole sermon series, take up months talking about all of the ways that, that we should be wise as, as followers of Christ, live wisely in these dark times. But I'm going to highlight some, some major points and ways in which we're to be wise in this, this dark time that we're living in, this, this dark world. Uh, and I want to start by, by pointing out that sort of a, a starting place as we want to operate wisely in this, this dark world that we live in is to wisely understand the world that we live in to sort of recognize the reality that we do live in this dark world where there are sort of wolves, in a sense, around seeking to attack us and devour us, to, to sort of understand that reality. And in fact, Jesus does that himself with the disciples as he's telling them, hey, you need to operate in a, in a wise way. You're, you're like sheep in the midst of, of wolves, and so you need to be shrewd in that innocent sort of way. He then makes it very clear. He wants them to understand. He wants to impart sort of this bit of wise knowledge. Let me make you aware of what I'm sending you out into. I want you to understand that. And so he does. He sort of has already said, you know, you're like sheep among wolves. But then he goes on, beware of people because they'll hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak for you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will, will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household, right? He's, he's imparting this bit of wise knowledge before I'm sending you out or as I'm, as I'm sending you out, understand before you go, you got to know what you're headed into, what the world is like all around you. And it's an evil place. And this is what they're going to do to you. They're going to persecute you in every way, right? And sort of a, a starting bit of, of wisdom for us as we as Christians seek to live wisely in this 
dark time in this dark world is to understand the reality of the evil and darkness in our world. And I think this is just sort of my experience with lots of Christians. Plenty of Christians are sort of aware of, of the times and they see what's going on and they recognize it. But I know plenty of Christians out there who, who love the Lord and yet it's sort of like they just seem totally unaware of what's going on in the world. I don't know if they're like living in a little bubble, if they just sort of want to hope the best and think the best of things, but they seem unaware of just the evil all around, the fact that the church is, is being attacked time and again, that, that sort of God and his ways are being pushed to the margins, that if we're sort of honest about things, this is just sort of a reality. I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm throwing out a ballpark number, but like half of our country would love nothing more than to get rid of Christianity and all Christians. They, they may not openly say that because that wouldn't be sort of a positive thing to say, it wouldn't go over well. But fundamentally, that's sort of how they view this sort of secular, how they view things and what they want in our country. This sort of godless, secular, progressive perspective where it's like, we don't want any picture of God. We don't want God in our country. We don't want people who are following any version of God. We need to rid ourselves of Christianity and Christian views and Christians themselves. And then they think, then we'll build this wonderful godless society. That's sort of their perspective. That's the reality. And you see it in sort of their political agenda and what they're seeking to do. It's sort of plain for anyone to see. And yet, I think there are plenty of Christians out there. I know plenty of them who just don't even see that that's a reality. They're just sort of oblivious to it. And so a starting point is just sort of understanding the truth of the times, being wise, having that wise knowledge that, such that you understand the reality of the darkness and the evil all around us. And I want to take this sort of a step further and also say sort of a second bit of, of wisdom, though it's sort of tied to the first, is to, to wisely understand, too, that uh, this evil all around, it's not just sort of a, a random scattering of people who happen to be living in all sorts of evil and pushing an evil agenda. It, it, rather, it is very much organized. It, it's, not, it's not sort of disorganized, scattered about. There's very much organization uh, to it. I mean, you can even go back decades in time, and there are writings of people from this, this secular, progressive, godless agenda saying, you know, we need to take over the schools. And if we can take over the school systems, then we can reach the next generation. And they maybe wouldn't use the word brainwash or indoctrinate them, but effectively, that's what they're saying. It's sort of, it's tougher to change the views of adults. So if we can sort of take over the public schools, well, then we can reach the children when they're impressionable, and we can brainwash them and indoctrinate them, and we'll, we'll win the next generation, and then we'll have more votes to push for our agenda and so forth and so on. This has been orchestrated for decades. That's just the reality to it. It's not just sort of coincidentally happening as people all sort of scattered about on their own are just sort of doing their own thing. There's very much organization uh, to it that is the reality, whether it's uh, organized on a governmental level, people in positions of power, whether it's federal, whether it's state, whether it's local governments as well, uh, people seeking to get themselves into positions of power, whether governing positions, whether it's in the school system, superintendents, you know, or school boards and so forth to sort of push the, the, this agenda, or whether it's getting into lofty positions in corporations to push that sort of agenda on the corporate level as well. Again, it's very much organized, and we need to recognize that, that reality and be wise to that reality. And it's not just organized sort of on the human level, if we're going to be honest about it. There's sort of a spiritual reality to it behind the scenes that, that the devil and demons are at work behind this. It's not just people doing their thing, but, but the devil's there and demons sort of pulling the strings, using people as puppets in their hands to, to seek to promote evil in our world. And as we recognize that too, just, just sort of the organization on, on every level of this evil all around us, our response should be, we just need to wisely pray. That should be our natural response. 
And we just got to pray about this. Pray uh, for God to be at work uh, as we recognize sort of the organized evil all around and maybe on our own strength, our own ability as just sort of, uh, you know, finite, weak human beings. We might feel sort of outgunned. It's just little old us, a few faithful followers of Christ. But we need to realize we got the big guns. We can go to the Lord, right? We're not stuck on it. You know, it's not just us on our own power, our own ability, but we can run to the Lord in prayer. And we should be bringing all this to him, him, him in prayer and saying, God, just stand against these plans and schemes of people in these positions of power who seek to undermine the church, who seek to attack the church and promote evil in every way, undermine and thwart the schemes sort of behind the scenes of the devil and his demons and guard your church and give us faithfulness and perseverance as your people in the midst of this. We should be wisely running to the Lord in prayer. As we think of other elements of, well, how do we live wisely, shrewdly in these, these dark times? I would say we need to wisely guard ourselves, and not just ourselves, but, but think especially of our kids as well, ourselves, our families, uh, from the evil that's all around, the evil and the lies that, that are all around in our world. I want to start by talking about guarding ourselves, then we'll sort of talk about guarding our kids as well. Uh, and so with respect to guarding ourselves from the evil that's all around, right, the reality is if there's evil on the rise all around, then there's going to be sin and temptation all around as well. And so uh, we need to, to know ourselves. If you have some area in which maybe you're prone to sinning and, and, and messing up and, uh, you know, understand that reality and don't go out into this evil, dark world, into a situation where you're going to put yourself in a place of temptation where you're going to sin and you're going to mess up. Uh, and that sort of is, is sort of obvious, I think, that, that sort of goes with a little bit of common sense. If you just have sort of a basic wisdom and shrewdness, you're going to say, this evil out there, I know my own areas of sin. I just need to be wise and stay away from those places. So I won't belabor that, that too much. But I'd say what maybe goes a little bit more under our radar and we don't see as much, uh, but, but can be just as insidious and have a great impact on, it, on us, is the stuff that we just sort of let allow into our minds, right? We live in an evil world where there's just sort of evil all around. Just, just turn on your television and this just sort of filth, you know, Hollywood has managed to put in seemingly every show or movie, some sort of gay couple or you name it, pushing sort of that, that anti-Christian agenda. It, it's everywhere. It's all around us. Um, that's just the reality. And we need to guard ourselves from that. We can have a way maybe of thinking of, you know, I know what scripture says. I, I know that that's wrong. That's good. Have that filter. Maybe you're watching a show that you enjoy and, you know, then those two men kiss and you're like, oh, that's just garbage. I know that's wrong. I have a filter. That's bad. Done. Uh, and that's good. Have that filter. But the more we just put that into our minds over and over and over and over and over again, uh, it begins to normalize that type of behavior. That's just the reality of it. Hollywood's doing that on purpose. They know what they're doing. It's not like, oh, it just happens to be that it has an impact on the culture. They're doing it intentionally. They realize that's sort of like a brainwashing 101 technique. The more you normalize something and show it to somebody, it just sort of feels like normal behavior after a while to that person. So they're putting this forth into the world time and time again. And in a sense, what you take in into your mind, it has a way of rubbing off on you over time. You sort of are what you allow in, in a sense. And so, yes, I'm not saying you can't occasionally watch a show and there's something inappropriate in it and say, I, I know that's wrong. I don't buy into that done end of story. But I don't want to see us just day after day allowing the, the filth of the world into our minds in such a way that it begins to sort of corrupt us and starts to normalize those types of evil, sinful things in our minds. And Paul sort of speaks to this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And here he writes, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, right? To put it simply, whatever is good, whatever is uplifting, focus on that, right? Sort of what you allow in has a way of sort of rubbing off on you and impacting you. So take in whatever's good, whatever's uplifting, and that will be something that builds you up as a, as a Christ follower. But again, the flip side of that is if you're focusing on filth, even if you think, oh, I'm above it, I know this is wrong, etc. But if you just sort of allow that in time and time and time and time again, it has a way of rubbing off in a negative way and sort of corrupting. And so we need to be on guard in regard to what we take in, right? And the reality is there is upright, solid Christian, and even if not overtly Christian, still sort of like Christian values, traditional family values, uh, content out there. You don't have to run to whatever Hollywood's putting out and say, oh, I'm going to watch that if, if you're, you know, it's the end of the day and you just want to relax and take it easy and you put something on that the world has made and, you know, you sort of take in that stuff day after day. This stuff out there, instead of Netflix, I'm not saying you can't have Netflix and watch some stuff on that or, or whatnot, but there's Pure Flix, and that's godly Christian content. Take in something like that. There's Redeem TV that has a lot of Christian content on it. Or even just watch shows from, like, I can even remember when I was a kid, and they were just sort of like family shows that you'd sit together as a family and watch, and even if it wasn't overtly Christian, it was just sort of good, good values that, that certainly are in line with the Christian faith. Watch stuff like that. It doesn't have to be the latest... Hollywood production pushing some sort of agenda that you're just allowing into your mind more and more and just in sort of a subliminal way has this corrupting effect on your mind. I also want to talk as well, though, about guarding one's children as well. We need to guard ourselves, but, but we also need to guard our kids because, again, the reality is uh, there are people out there who have the agenda of in a sense, sort of stealing your kids from you. I don't mean in sort of the kidnapping sense. I mean, there could be people out there who want to do that. But, but in the sense of they want to brainwash your kids, that's a reality. There are people who want to do that. As I mentioned earlier in the sermon, even from decades ago, this was an agenda of people uh, from that sort of godless, secular, progressive viewpoint where, hey, we, we want to get into the schools, take over what's being taught in the public schools and, and push this agenda on impressionable who will sort of soak it all up like a sponge, uh, and, and they're doing that. And, and I'd say, you know, they sort of started small, little bit, little bit, and it started to progress. And over the last few years, it's like there's no restraining what they're doing. It's just out in the open, and they're pushing it at, at an unbelievable rate uh, on children. And kids, kids fall prey to this and buy into it. Often parents don't even realize it's what's being taught in, in their school systems, but more and more parents are sort of waking up to that reality. But we need to guard our kids. And, 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 you know, that can mean different things for different people. For us, it means we homeschool. That, that takes a lot of time. Liz really homeschools. I'm being fair. I don't want to take the credit for it. Like, I'll help a little with curriculum picking and so forth, but she's the one putting the time in day after day uh, with the kids homeschooling. But, you know, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort and sacrifice. It even has added costs, financial costs, buying the materials and so forth. But when you realize what the schools are putting forth and you realize these, these are our kids and, and you know we need to raise them faithfully in, in, in the Lord, uh, we can't expose them to that because that will have a negative impact on them. And so we feel like we need to homeschool and we need to do that. Now, other people might be in a position where they can send their kids to a private Christian school financially. Great, do that. 
Um, you know, others may come to the conclusion, hey, you know, I just, I can't, you know, both spouses are working, I can't homeschool, we need to put food on the table, what do we do? Well, we still have to send them to the public schools, but then be on, super on guard, and maybe every day you're having conversations, what, what's going on in the classroom, what are the teachers teaching you? Uh, you know, that, that's okay, that's not okay, that's not in line with what we believe, here's what scripture says, you know, and having those daily conversations, because again, the schools aren't just about teaching reading and writing and math that at least not anymore, once upon a time they did those things. Now that sort of secondary and the primary agenda is pushing again, sort of their, their anti-Christian agenda. Um, and so we need to guard our kids. And not just in regard to schooling, though that certainly is, is a big one, one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, way in which, again, that agenda is being pushed on our kids and, and our kids are being indoctrinated. Uh, but even in regard to, you know, when they're at home and do they turn the TV on or, uh, our kids like to watch YouTube a little bit. And again, everything is on there. You go to YouTube and streaming, everything's there. You turn on the television. I I'm routinely, I guess in a sense, it doesn't shock me anymore, but it still does shock me at the same time. Like what's out there and not just for, for like adults, but for kids. I remember this was maybe a couple years ago. Um, uh, my kids never really loved Blue's Clues, which I'm grateful for. I, I think it's super boring. I mean, you know, as a parent, some shows you're like, yeah, that's a kid's show, but it's somewhat entertaining. And then there are others where you're like, oh my word, are we really watching this for like three hours straight? I can't bear it anymore. Blue's Clues was sort of one of those um, where I wouldn't want to watch it. And, and, and again, they didn't really watch it much, if at all. But, but every now and then maybe they'd be watching, I don't know what channel it was on, was it like Nickelodeon, PBS, whatever, and maybe that would come on after something else. So every now and then we'd see a snippet of it. And I remember, um, I don't know if it just came on or if maybe I saw this in the media, you know, on my phone, I, I, or Facebook saw something going around about Blue's Clues, but this is a show geared towards like two-year-olds. And this is just one example. Don't think it's just like Blue's Clues. It's like every kid's show out there. Uh, this is for like two, three, four-year-olds would sort of, I'd peg as like the sweet spot. It's like preschool before you're in kindergarten. By kindergarten, kids are like, that's boring, that's lame, I don't want to watch that. Um, and they had an entire episode, which was just sort of a pride parade with gay this, transgender that, every sort of family. Oh, they have two moms, they have two dads, they have like four parents or whatever that is, or you know what I mean? And I don't mean like step-parents, I mean like polyamorous, some something, you know, it's like, it was just so bizarre and warped. And it's like, this is for three-year-olds? It's just, it's baffling and it's twisted, it's perverted. And, and again, they're trying to brainwash kids at three years of age before kids have sort of formulated opinions and ideas, what's right, what's wrong. And they assume some parents might be busy doing something. Let me just plop my kid in front of the TV uh, so I can go off and get some work done or whatever. And then the kid just watches it. You know, that, that's probably their hope. And the parent doesn't get to say, oh, that's nonsense. Don't watch that, turn it off. Um, and so we need to be on guard with, with respect to what our kids are taking in. We need to be aware, what, what are they watching? You know, uh, I said my kids like to watch YouTube. Some stuff out there is great. There's, there's this one YouTuber, Preston, and he loves Jesus and talks about it all the time and has these cool entertaining videos. That's great, it's uplifting. There's another one that seemed wholesome for a while until one of the guys decided now he's, he's not a guy, he's a woman and he's transitioning and so forth. And it's like, well, nope, we're not watching that one anymore. Uh, you know, you got to be on guard, the filthy language that's just ev everywhere. If we hear any bad words, nope, you don't watch that video or, or any others from, from that person who puts out videos, you know. Um, and so you just always, with everything, it's, and I'm not saying just, just with regard to YouTube, TV, or with regard to schooling, but with everything, we just always need to be uh, guarding what our kids are taking in, what they're being taught. 
and really, and Liz and I have sought to do this, we want to sort of be ahead of the game. The world is going to try to teach your kids from their perspective. It's just sort of everywhere. As much as you try to guard them, at some point they're going to realize what the world is saying and teaching. It's just all around you. Uh, and even all around kids at a very young age. And so that means having to head it off and having conversations that a decade or two ago, you'd be like, why are you even talking to your kids about those things when they're like six years old? But if you don't talk about it, talk about that with them from a godly perspective, the world will talk to them about it from their perspective. And so even heading things off, realizing we're going to go out about in our lives and they're going to see like two women kissing and be like, my mind was blown. What was that, mom and dad? Explain that one to me. You know, it's like, they're just going to see these things in life. It's just a reality. And you just have to head those things off and have conversations from a godly perspective. And again, foundationally, when we talk about sort of guarding ourselves, our kids from, from the evil in the world, the lies that the world is, is putting forth, uh, the best antidote to that is the truth of God's word. Just stay grounded in God's word, the truth. Don't buy into the lies of, of the world that's sort of all over there, but just continually be coming back to God's word. Be grounded in that truth when it comes to your kids and raising them. Make sure they're grounded in God's word. Be reading it with them day after day. Have them reading it on their own once they can read day after day and stay grounded in the truth of God's word. Uh, moving on again to other areas of, of sort of how are we to operate wisely, shrewdly as Christians in these dark times, I want to speak to wisely evangelizing. Um, and we talked about evangelism last week, and we sort of emphasized our role in evangelism. We just need to focus on being faithful and leave the results up to God. He's the one who's going to work in people's hearts and, and give them repentant faith. He's the one who's going to bring the results, the fruit. We just need to be doing our part and sharing the gospel message. So we, we talked about that. that. That's all good and true. But I still want to speak to the reality that we can be wise in how we evangelize, how we share the gospel. Uh, and, and I think that if, if I try to evaluate, well, New Hope Chapel, how have we done? How have I done? How have the ministries of, of New Hope Chapel done? I think we've really sought to ever increasingly be out there and sharing the gospel, whether personal evangelism in our lives, in our, you know, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, with friends, we're trying to share the gospel. I know there are people out there in the church here who are doing that and doing it faithfully. Uh, I think of ministries like Moms and Munchkins. Hey, we want to reach out to moms in the community and and, and certainly minister to them as moms and their kids, but have an opportunity then to build relationships and share the gospel uh, and so, so witness for Christ in, in that way. And I think if we look at it all, we, I, I think this has been sort of my experience, the experience of others is sort of like, well, we're just not getting anywhere. We don't seem to be bearing any fruit. Again, the fruit, that, that's, that's God's arena. He's the one who's going to bear fruit. Uh, but I think the reality is we just sort of keep going after the same people who are very hardened in their hearts toward God, toward Christ, toward the Christian faith, and just want nothing to do with it. In a sense, we've sort of been targeting our average neighbor, our average uh, friend in the community, uh, our average mom who would attend Moms and Munchkins in the Westboro community. And the reality of sort of the average person in our community is they want nothing to do with God. That's sort of been our experience. Uh, you know, you take advantage of opportunities to share the gospel and either they immediately are like, nope, don't talk to me about that. Don't want to hear it. Uh, maybe at first they seem a little receptive, but then it becomes clear. No, I have no intention of ever coming to church, of believing in Jesus, that, that sort of thing. Nope. If you want to do that, fine, but, but not for me. And that's just sort of what we've gotten at, at, at every turn. And, and again, leave the results to God. I, I, I realize that we just need to be faithful in our part. But I can't help but wonder if perhaps we're prioritizing our efforts 
Uh, we're not prioritizing our efforts in, in the best way. Are we really targeting the wrong people? Let me explain sort of what I mean a little bit. Uh, somewhat recently, Liz and I and Caitlin have kind of gotten connected with uh, largely Christian, but not exclusively Christian sort of conservatives in Westboro who sort of have been standing against some of the, the stuff in town, the agenda of the schools, the libraries. I know you guys have sort of heard that story about the library and the book and, and whatnot. And so kind of as, as our town, as our world has sort of gotten more and more crazy and evil, more of the sort of traditional biblical values people have banded together uh, in Westboro. And a lot of them are Christians, and that's wonderful, and that's great. That, that's great to see. But there are others who might call themselves Christians, but, but they're sort of cultural Christians. They affirm sort of some of the biblical values, but they don't really understand what Christ has done for us. They don't really understand the truth of the gospel. Or there might even be others who'd say, yeah, I don't even know, am I a Christian? Not, not really, but I at least affirm some traditional values. So, so it's, it's a bit of a mixed group, general conservative traditional values, some Christians, some not. And I've realized this is an opportunity from an outreach evangelistic perspective, uh, just to sort of continue on with the story. We wound up having a, a prayer meeting, praying for the town of Westboro. This was, I think, a couple Saturdays ago, not, not yesterday, but, but eight days ago. Um, at the house of one person. And again, sort of mixed group, some Christians, but, but others maybe not so much. One woman who was there, and again, she's willingly showing up to a Christian prayer meeting to pray for Westboro. And she, sort of after the prayer, she's just kind of sharing a little bit about herself and, and saying, you know, well, I, I grew up Catholic, but, but that, you know, it just feels like these empty traditions and rituals and so forth. And so I really want to find out, like, what's Christianity really about? I want to read my Bible. I've been doing this read, you know, your Bible in a year Bible reading plan, and it's, it's going great. I've been doing it well and faithfully. And again, just sort of want to find out what Scripture is really all about, what, what Christianity is all about. That's the type of person we should be putting our efforts and energy into. How many people are out there saying, I want to read the Bible. In fact, not just do I want to read it a little, I'll read the whole thing in a year. I so desperately want to find out what this book is all about, what Christianity is all about. We should be saying, that's the person I want to put sort of my energy and time into when it comes to evangelism, not to say totally disregard everyone else living in Westboro. At any opportunity, we should share the gospel. But if we're going to sort of prioritize a group of people, let's prioritize those who are hungry, who are seeking, who, who want to find out what the Bible's about, who want to find out about God, who are seeking for truth, who are open to Christianity, open to the gospel. Let's pour our time and energy and efforts into those people. Uh, and again, I think if we're honest, maybe we've just sort of poured our time and energy into the average Westboro resident who's pretty, or, or the surrounding towns, who's pretty hardened to the gospel, and so we haven't really gotten anywhere. And again, I want to affirm the results, the fruit, that, that's God's arena. We just need to be faithful in doing our part, but we can be wise in doing our part, and that means not pouring endless energy into people who've made it clear, I don't want anything to do with Christianity, but going to those who are open and saying, please tell me, I, I want to know about scripture. I, I'm hungry for this. We should be putting our time and energy into those people. And just even to, to see this wisdom in regard to evangelism in Scripture, I, I want to come back to our, our passage here in Matthew. And uh, here's what Jesus says. This is verse 14. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. In a sense, just kind of paraphrase. It's like, if somebody doesn't receive what, what you know, you're all about, you're there preaching the gospel message, proclaiming the kingdom of God, that's what I'm sending you out to do. If you come upon a town or a house and they're basically like, 
no thanks, uh, not going to receive that, don't want to believe it, I'm done, I'm good without that, that's a hard pass, no. Well, then he says, well, you, you go and you leave and shake the dust off your feet and you move on to the next house or the next town, move on to other people, rather than, no, like keep endlessly banging on that same door to that same house and trying again and again and again. It's sort of like if, if they're hardened and they don't want it and they have rejected it, then shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next house or town. Right? And so there is a place for wisdom in sharing the gospel. And I feel like perhaps we've been continually banging on the door of the same people and we just keep getting a no, no thanks, no thanks, no, 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 rather than being wise about it and sort of moving on to a group of people who are open, who are receptive and are willing to hear what scripture is actually about and the gospel message. And let's put our time and efforts into those people. And again, just speaking a little further to this, it makes me wonder what, what other groups of people, whether in Westboro or other towns, are there other towns where maybe as our world's gotten crazier and more and more evil, where people are starting to band together in Northboro, and, and just like in Westboro, are there opportunities there in other towns, in Grafton, where people who are a little more conservative, Christian, maybe some of them Christians, but maybe others just affirming basic sort of traditional values who would be open to Christianity? Are there, are there evangelistic opportunities in those other towns? It makes me think of, of here in, in Westboro as well. Pretty soon, uh, the state's putting in a new housing building. They're doing renovations, and a bunch of uh, homeless families are going to be moving in there. And again, oftentimes when people are sort of on hard times and struggling in life, they're much more open. People who think they've got it all together. Hey, I live in my big Westboro home. I'm wealthy everything's great. I don't need a savior. I'm doing great. That's their mindset. But someone who's struggling in life often is much more open and receptive. Is that one of those groups that we should be running to rather than endlessly banging on the doors of the same people who want nothing to do with Christ? So I think it calls for wisdom in, in how we do evangelism. Uh, and so that's one of the areas that we can act wisely and shrewdly. Uh, another area of, uh, that we should be acting wisely and shrewdly in uh, relates to just how we engage with people in, in our world. And I think more and more uh, it's getting difficult as Christians to engage in life with others who are sort of from the other side and, and affirm all of this craziness and evil. You know, it's easy as a Christian to get along with other Christians, people who are like-minded, uh, but it's a lot more difficult just sort of to, to live life alongside people who, again, are steeped in, in sin and wicked ways and, and honestly just sort of like crazy ways as well. It just sort of is mind-blowing uh, what people out there seem to affirm. Uh, and as we engage with people, whether this is with friends, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, uh, we need to be wise. And we talked a little bit about this this last week. Uh, but in regard to how do we act wisely as we engage with people in life in, in this dark world? Well, we need to wisely put God first in everything. That needs to be our priority. We love God first serve God first and foremost. We can't compromise the truth just to accommodate people. People are not first and foremost, God is. And so in a world that's going to say, hey, what you need to do is just affirm me and whatever my choices are, as I'm living my truth, as I do me and so forth, the language of our world, right? They're going to say, what you need to do, everybody out there, you just have to affirm me. We need to say, you're not my priority, God is. I love him first and foremost. I serve him above, above all else. And I need to be faithful to him and not compromise the truth uh, of his word. And so that needs to be our priority. But also we do recognize we're called to love other people, love God first, but secondarily love others. But we need to understand what it looks like to love others. And again, from our world's perspective, their view of what love is, is, well, that's telling me that whatever I'm doing is okay and affirming my every choice, no matter how twisted and evil it is, love is affirming me no matter what. 
But, but that's not really a biblical version of love. If we really love someone and care about them, we're, we're not, as we see them headed down this sinful path that's headed nowhere good, if we really love them, we're going to say, hey, I, I need to confront you with this because I love you and I, I want better for you. And again, God's first and foremost, and so we need to stand on the truth as well. But even flowing for, out of love for other people, the loving thing to do is to confront them with regard to their sin in their lives. And again, Scripture speaks to this. Ephesians 4.15, we read this last week. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, right? We need to speak the truth in love. As we see people headed down these bad paths, making these sinful choices, if we really love them, even though it's an awkward and difficult conversation, you might think, I don't know how they're going to respond, but if we really love them, we're going to go to them and confront them with their sin in a loving way, not in this mean, harsh, cruel, judgmental way, but in a loving way, confront them with their sin. And I want to sort of give a specific example, because again, it's easy to talk about the ideas. Well, we need to put God first and foremost, uh, but again, secondarily, we want to love people, love God first, but, but also love people. And what does that love look like? Confronting people with their sin. But again, let's sort of apply that to a specific scenario. And this is a scenario that, again, if you rewound the clock, like even just a decade, you'd sort of feel like, what are the odds of this happening? And, and here's the scenario. Imagine you have a friend uh, you know, maybe you've been friends for, for 10 years, you love this friend, you're really close, uh, and then suddenly this friend, she just decides, you know what, I, I don't think I'm a woman anymore, I now identify as a man. And again, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd be like, what are the odds that I'm going to run into that? Come on, let's be real. But it's just becoming more and more common in today's world where, where that type of thing happens, and now you're sort of left like scratching your head like, what do I even say to that? How, how do I respond to that? How do I engage with this person who's my friend who's now saying, you know what, I'm not a woman anymore, I'm, I'm a man. Well, again, apply the principles. First and foremost, I'm not saying this is, this is what you said. I'm going through sort of your mental logic. Then I'll talk about, well, how, what do you say to this person? But remember, God needs to be first, so that needs to be your mindset. My, my goal is not, first and foremost, to sort of affirm and please this friend of mine. That can't be my priority. It's I need to be faithful to God. I love him first and foremost. I serve him. I need to be faithful to him and not compromise. So you're going to say, even though this woman now says that she identifies as a man, I know she's a woman. And so even though she says, maybe I want to be called he, him, and now I have a new name that's a male name, you're going to have to say in your mind, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't affirm what this individual is doing by, by now you know, using male pronouns and a male name when I know she's a female and what she's doing is, is sinful and goes against God's word. So this is going to be going through your mind. But you're also going to be thinking, you know, I, I do love this individual. I, I want what's best for this individual. And again, going down this path, this isn't going to lead anywhere good in this person's life. It's not going to bring the happiness that perhaps she thinks it's going to bring. Maybe, you know, she's going through a tough time and depressed and life's got her down and she thinks this must be the solution to it. I've just never really understood that, that I actually identify as a man and that's going to fix everything. And then I'll feel great and everything will be wonderful, right? That might be her mindset. But you realize that it's not, that's not the reality, and this isn't going to fix things. This isn't going to bring joy and happiness in your life. Rather, it's going to lead to devastation in your life and, and destruction in your life and punishment from the Lord. Uh, it's just not going to lead anywhere good. It's not going to honor God. That's just the reality to it. And if you love this person, your mindset should be, I need to sort of call them out on this and, and share this with them and tell them what God's word says and that this isn't okay and really challenge them to, to sort of rethink this and, and not move forward with this sort of transgender mindset. 
So now, again, but this should all be done in love. So how, how do you respond? Imagine you do have this longtime friend and suddenly says, you know what? I'm not a woman anymore. I'm a man. I'd say, first, affirm your love for this person. Say, hey, you know, insert name. We've been friends for, for so long. You know I love you. I've been there for you. You've been there for me. We have a close relationship. You know, and I, I just want to affirm that, 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 I, that I love you. But you also know I, I'm a Christian, and, and, and I stand on, on God's, God's word and his truth, and he's first and foremost in my life, and I have to be faithful to him and can't compromise. And, and so, you know, Scripture says this is wrong, what you're choosing to do. Again, I, I love you. I, I care about you. I want the best for you, but this isn't right, and I, I can't go along with this and use your new male name or the pronouns of, of your choosing because that's just not going to honor God. And also, I, again, I, I love you, and I care about you, and I, I want what's best for you, and this isn't going to lead to a good place in your life. It's not going to suddenly fix everything and make everything wonderful and, and great. It's just going to lead to a wake of devastation in your life. And so, you know, I need to speak the truth to you now and, 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 and tell you what God's word says and just, you know, plead with you to, to not move forward with this and identify, but reconsider their counselors out there that could help you with this if, if you're struggling with things and so forth. That, that sort of idea would be how to respond to something like this. And I realize there's a million different scenarios you could come up with in our, again, crazy day and age, but, but it might seem strange. You might think, boy, what are the odds of that happening to me, Pastor Steve? But, but as time goes by and, you know, maybe for some of us, you might think, you know, we're a little bit older. My friends are a little older. There's a little less of that, like, transgender movement in the 60-plus community or so forth. But if you think of your kids and your grandkids, it's something that, that realistically for kids now, they're bumping into day after day. It's just a reality in the school systems and so forth. This isn't just sort of like theoretical, it could happen to someone, but it's like one in a million. It's just all over the place. And it's something that, that Christians are having to deal with, having a friend who suddenly has this life choice. And, and how do you respond as a Christian to that? And so again, we need to engage with our dark, evil world in a wise way. And I want to speak to uh, one last area as well in regard to living wisely in these dark times. And it has to do with wisely, shrewdly fighting back against the evil uh, that's all around us. Uh, I think for a long time, Christians have sort of been passive. We've sort of seen for decades the trend. It's not like we've been totally blind, at least most of us, to this. But I think a lot of us have just sort of, you know, we, we rant and we rave about it. I, I certainly do. You could, Liz can vouch for that. I have long rants about things in our world, and she probably listens to the first 30 seconds and then tunes it out because it's like, I've heard that before, Steve. Um, but we sort of complain about it, we gripe, but, you know, well, I'm too busy in my life. I can't do anything about it. It's just little old me, and we just sort of sit back, and we stay quiet, even if we complain to ourselves or our close ones. We don't really do anything about it. We just sort of have, for decades, hoped that the trend would change and just sort of reverse itself while we just go about our quiet lives. I just want to go to work and provide for my family and do my thing. I don't want to be bothered with all of this. And we just sort of hope someone else will stand up and do something about it, but, but nobody's done a whole lot about it, and the trend has continued for decades, and sort of now we stand where, where we stand. And really, we need to wisely and shrewdly fight back against the evil that's, that's all around us. Uh, and there are a variety of ways in which we can do that. First, we, we need to be, be, be vocal and be bold and get out there and make our opinion and our voice heard and, and speak the truth in a world where sort of the lies are put forth everywhere and shouted loudly on TV, on billboards, you name it, in schools, wherever, right? The lies are all around. We need to get out there and proclaim loudly the truth. Uh, that's one way we can fight back. Another way we can fight back, in all honesty, is 
where we have legal recourse, right? Oftentimes, sort of uh, people from the other perspective will try to attack the church, whether through legal means. Uh, you have plenty of instances of Christians who've been fired just because of their faith. Well, that's illegal. That's a reality. That's illegal. If we have legal recourse, well, then file a lawsuit, and, and, and you should win your case. That doesn't mean you'll always get a judge who actually upholds the law, but you might. And, and it's not just about winning the case for yourself and getting justice, but now that will deter that corporation that fired you just for being a Christian because it's not in line with company values is probably what they said or something. Now they'll be less apt to do it to someone else. Uh, or, you know, perhaps a law is passed that uh, is an evil and wicked law, but not just that, it's perhaps unconstitutional. Uh, you can fight back through legal recourse and, and means. And, and again, think of something like Roe v. Wade, uh, something that was an, an awful Supreme Court legal decision, uh, evil, certainly, but even just from a, 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 an unbiased judicial perspective, there was sort of no basis for that that legal decision, even plenty on the other side will grant that and admit that it sort of had no judicial legal basis for, for uh, their ruling. Again, so, well, now you have legal recourse. You can fight against it, and that took decades and decades, but eventually it did get reversed and, and, and overruled, overturned. Now, in plenty of states like Massachusetts, has that changed anything in Massachusetts? Not really. It just bounced the decision regarding abortion to, to states. But in plenty of states now, abortion is, is banned and many lives are spared as a result. And again, that's through uh, organizations that brought legal cases and challenges and ultimately that resulted in that being overturned. And so often we, we can fight legal battles, whether it's maybe you're being sued in fighting the legal battle to defend yourself, or maybe it's going on the offensive and, and filing a lawsuit against others. But we do often have legal recourse, and, and we need to take that. I know nobody wants to be the person to make file the lawsuit, and it becomes a big deal for you, but we need to step up to the plate uh, as, as those, those situations arise and, and fight back. Uh, we can also really take charge of, of our schools. I talked about sort of from the evil secular progressive agenda for decades. This has been sort of a scheme, a plan of, of theirs. We want to brainwash the next generation, take over. Right. Well, our response should be, well, well, we don't want that to happen. And so what are we going to do? We're going to make sure you're not in charge of our school systems. We're going to run for school boards. You know, maybe you'll win. Maybe you won't. But but at least try and make an attempt. Uh, that means more people saying, you know what, I want to change the way the school systems are. So I'm going to become a superintendent when I grow up. Right. Think of the next generation. Or I want to be a teacher or principal and try to bring that change, get more people from our godly Christian perspective into positions of leadership, whether it's in our schools, that, that's a big one, getting them into those leadership positions, whether it's in corporations that, again, are pushing sort of this, this godless anti-Christian agenda, get people into positions of power there so that that can change, whether it's positions of government, all of these positions of power and influence, we need to get people into those positions, right, and sort of change what's being pushed, the agenda that's being pushed, and make sure that that isn't what, what's pushed in our world anymore. I also think of just putting out uh, more godly, uplifting media, whether it's movies, whether it's uh, shows. You know, I talked about there are some out there like Pure Flicks, Redeem TV, and so forth, but there's not a ton to choose from, right? Hollywood puts out a ton of stuff. You got, you know, all the television channels, every, you know, a thousand of them, I, you know, seems like there's limitless channels, yet nothing to watch on TV, or whether it's Netflix, whether it's movies, and so forth, and there's so much evil and filth. Let's make an effort for those of us who are Christ followers to put out more godly content that people can watch in a way that, that lifts people up rather than people 
sort of feeling like, well, I don't have anything to watch, so I'll watch that other stuff that, that's filthy and then has a corrupting influence on them on the inside. Uh, we can boycott, that's a reality, as we see corporations that often are pushing that agenda, we can say, I'm not gonna buy your goods anymore. And that does at times have an impact, and so we should, we should operate that way. If we see people pushing a certain agenda, a certain corporation, why reinforce that? Why support that by giving them your business, your money? Um, we can also, with regard to our vote, we can support godly Christian values. Right? I think so often the mindset in the church is like, you know, you have religion and politics and the two never meet and never touch. And that's just sort of nonsense. I don't understand how anyone has that perspective, right? Our faith informs everything, every part of us, every part of our lives, every area of our lives. It's not like somehow our politics is sort of immune from our faith influencing that. Our faith influences every part of our lives, including our politics. Now, some areas of politics you know, scripture doesn't particularly speak exactly to those areas, whether it's certain economic policies or so forth. And Christians can reasonably have different views about certain things. But there are some things, whether it's abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, so forth, uh, political issues that, that scripture clearly speaks to. And as Christians, we should vote in a way that reflects our faith and that upholds godly Christian values. Uh, that's the reality. And yet for so many Christians, they don't do that. Tragically, that's a reality. I know plenty of Christians who love the Lord, and yet they're out there voting for people who support abortion and homosexuality and so forth. And so why are you, with your, with your vote, with your voice, with your ability to influence things in our country, why are you supporting those things rather than supporting godly values? Um, and so we can vote in a way as well. Vote wisely, vote shrewdly in a way that supports Christian values. Right? There are lots of things that we can do to fight back. We can operate wisely, shrewdly as Christians uh, in these dark times to fight against, wisely, shrewdly fight against the evil in our world. But I want to come back big picture here, right, in, in a sense, sum it all up. I know we talked about a lot of specific ways in which we're to live wisely, shrewdly, but, but again, in a nutshell, uh, as Jesus speaks to here, as we talked about in Matthew chapter 10, when we think of uh, the world that we live in, these dark times, how we're, as he puts it, sort of like those sheep surrounded by wolves seeking to attack us, devour us. How are we to live? We need to live shrewdly in the upright kind of way, the innocent kind of way. We need to live wisely in every way, and we're called to do that. And if we do that, we're, we're going to live in a way that all the more honors and glorifies God in our lives, uh, we're going to serve him better, and the church is going to thrive all the more in the midst of these dark times. So let's live shrewdly, wisely in these dark times as we're called to. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we recognize the reality of our times, dark, evil times. It's just the truth. And we've heard what you said Lord Jesus, as you sent out the disciples into a dark world and called them to live shrewdly, wisely. And I pray that we would do the same. Give us wisdom, shrewdness, to live out our lives in that wise and shrewd way as we're called to in every aspect, Lord. Wisely knowing what the world is like around us, wisely knowing how organized the evil around us is, as we talked about, wisely guarding ourselves and our children from the evil and the lies around us, wisely, shrewdly evangelizing, wisely engaging with people in our crazy evil world, 
wisely, shrewdly fighting back against the evil all around, Lord. In every area of life, may we live wisely and shrewdly as you've called us to. And may the church thrive all the more as a result in these dark times. And may you be honored and glorified in it. In Christ's name, amen.